I'm really excited to uh, share this morning that last night was our first Emmaus recovery group. And guys, there, were like, there was 15 people here last night for the recovery group. How awesome is that, right? Praise the Lord. So keep praying over that. Keep interceding over that. Um, Derek Gilbert absolutely crushed it, um, led everybody in some awesome stuff. And we're just so excited uh, that these ministries are getting launched. And if that's something you're interested in, remember next week, next Saturday night, we're doing another recovery group. Uh, usually it'll be the second and third Saturday, but we had to push it back for this one. But please come. Um, the coffee is real powerful that night. I mean, it was supercharged. It's, it was recovery coffee. If you, if, you, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. So yeah, it was supercharged. I had a little bit of it. It was like, oh, wow, this, I'm going to be up for at least a month. I mean, it was... Yeah, I, I literally felt the presence of the Lord when I drank it. I was, here we go, man, we're doing this. So, yeah, praise the Lord. And praise the Lord for people just willing to step up and say, I want to help. We just, I love you guys. I love the men and women that say, you know, send us, we'll go, we'll do it. Um, so amen. So let's kind of jump into our teaching this morning. Um, for those that are new, there's some new faces that I see here this morning. Uh, we've been going through the book of Matthew uh, systematically. We've been following Jesus's teachings. And we've been in this uh, system or this cycle where Jesus is talking about this thing that we have called the upside down kingdom. So over the last couple of months, we've heard Jesus communicate and teach who's the greatest in Jesus's kingdom right? It's not what you think it is. It's the opposite. Um, we uh, heard a teaching on causing others to stumble, the dangers in causing others to stumble. Pastor Ron shared a powerful word about what to do with correction and sin in the body. And we heard about a rich young ruler and, and many more. And each of these teachings continues to further push this thought that Jesus's kingdom is in fact upside down. It's different than what we normally see. And in today's passage, we're seeing Jesus continue to reiterate this idea of what upside down actually is. And what's interesting is this concept seems to be very difficult to grasp for the people who are closest to him. So today, we're going to be reading an interaction that Jesus has with the wife of Zebedee and his disciples. And for context, the children that are referred to in this passage that we're going to read are James and John. So we're going to be reading about an interaction that Jesus has with Zebedee's uh, wife, who's the mother of James and John. Both of them are disciples. Uh, it's John the Revelator and James, one of the disciples of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn them on, open them up, or look at the screen. And we're going to read in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. And it goes a little something like this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, so these are the other disciples, the other ten disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. 
Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants, to, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are here this morning and that we can come together as a body and worship you. So, Lord, I pray that you would stay with us this morning. You would tug on our hearts. You would teach us. You would challenge us. You would grow us, Lord. And ultimately, you would make us more like you. That from our mouths would come your words. You'd grow in us the fruit of the Spirit. God, we need you desperately. Meet with us this morning. Teach us. Grow us. We ask this in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. So as we look at this interaction this morning, it's clear that the disciples still do not really fully understand the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, right? So Jesus is fresh off of a teaching where he says, hey, if you want to be the first, you got to become the last. He just taught about children being welcome at the table, and he had all this other imagery of this upside-down kingdom. And after these teachings, we have a mother asking what seems to be an innocent question about Jesus. So if you've ever seen Everybody Loves Raymond, I picture Zebedee's wife here is like Marie Barone, where she's going up to Jesus like, I, it's because I love Raymond. I just, I want him to sit at your right and I want Robert at your left, if you could do that. If you've seen that show, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's we have these motives where it's like, it's because I love him. And Jesus is like, but you don't even know what you're talking about, man. Like, you're, this, is, this is unbelievable, right? So this question that Jesus poses, uh, that is posed to Jesus in verse 21 is a mom asking if her two kids could sit at the right and the left of Jesus in his kingdom. So what is even relevant or important about the location in proximity to Jesus. So in ancient times, the people who sat at the right or the left of the king or the queen would be understood to be the highest ranking people in that kingdom outside of the king and the queen. And if you think that that's just like an old school thing and we don't really do that anymore, like it still goes on today. If you think about it, right, a couple weeks ago, um, or every year on a Tuesday night, there's a certain Tuesday night, I don't remember what it is, my, all the history people here could tell me what night it's supposed to be, of the year, there's a State of the Union address where the president addresses the nation. And who sits behind the president when you watch that? No matter who the president is, no matter if you like him or not, there's always two people behind the president. There's a vice president who's arguably the second most powerful person in the nation, and then there's the Speaker of the House, sits on the other side. So there is a relevance to the position and placement in proximity to the king and queen or the leader. Those positions, those seats, they have meaning. They are important. So this question, again, it comes on the heels of Matthew 19.30, where Jesus says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Matthew 5, 5, where Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And Matthew 18, where he talks about becoming like a child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is communicating these same things over and over and over again. And for some reason, these folks just aren't getting it. So the question that Jesus is asked of is strange. And as I read this this week, I couldn't help but think, like, is anybody paying attention to Jesus? 
How many times do you have to say the same thing over and over and over again before it clicks? And guess what, church? We can point our fingers at those that are in this scripture, but we got three pointing right back at us. How many times have we heard from the Lord say, hey, you should really do this. <laughs> hey, listen, I got something really great for you. And we just ignore it and ignore it and ignore it. If you've had kids, I know I've shared this example before, you could tell them something over and over again. And as soon as somebody else tells them the exact same thing, they're like, you're never going to believe what so-and-so said. Okie dokie. That's great, right? <laughs> We've only been talking about that for a month. <laughs> so, so it seems pretty clear that the inner circle of Jesus should understand that his kingdom is upside down, but it's not clicking. It's not making sense to them. So let's pull back the curtain a little bit on this question and let's look at really what the heart is behind this question because truthfully, brothers and sisters, it's representing something very dangerous and much deeper than what's just on the surface. This question ultimately is coming from the prideful hearts of her children. And we can gather that by reading and paying attention to this text that both James and John wanted prominent places in Jesus's kingdom. And how can we draw that conclusion? If you look at verse 22, Jesus does not respond to their mother. He responds to them directly. And there's another uh, parallel to this story. If you guys remember, we've used the term synoptic gospels. So there's three of the gospels have, are pretty close uh, in everything that's in them. And this exact story is found in the book of Mark in chapter 10, and Zebedee's wife, the mother of James and John, she's not even mentioned in that account. You only read about James and John asking the question. So Jesus responds to the pride of these two disciples, and then we see the other ten disciples get worked up. In verse 24, it says the other ten were indignant when they heard this. That's a great word, indignant. And indignant is defined as feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. Jesus has been explaining that we are not to look for the seat at the front of the room, that we are not to look for praise and glory on our own, that the last will be first, the first will be last. He just shared a parable about workers receiving the same wage, whether they started early in the day or later in the day. That's not fair at all. And the people who have a front row seat to this teaching are allowing pride and jealousy to get in their way. Imagine being one of the few people who present, who was physically present, heard every word that Jesus said, right? When Jesus is talking to crowds and masses, it's likely that some of those people didn't hear all of Jesus's teachings. They heard a couple of them and then maybe got it through the grapevine or whatever. But these disciples, they've heard every word and they're letting pride and jealousy get in their way. And brothers and sisters, I would love to stand before you today and say that I have no idea what it feels like to be indignant towards somebody else, but I would be lying. There were times when I was at national meetings in my former ministry that folks would get up and share amazing testimonies of all the things the Lord was doing. And whenever it was salvations, I would jump for joy. I'd be amped out of my mind. I was excited. But I found myself getting worked up and frustrated when I heard other people getting huge grants or gifts or building projects that were getting complete. And I thought to myself, what makes them so special? 
Like we work twice as hard as they do. We need the resources more than they do. Lord, don't you see us? And when we start doing that as believers, when we think we know more than God, our prayers turn away from God, your will be done, to God, I know what's best. Listen, I got this. Do this for me and we'll be good. What a dark spiritual place we land in when that's our perspective. How small that thinking was. Church, there were times that I needed to repent and apologize before the Lord. That terrible place that we sit where we think we know more than God, we can become bitter at our brothers and sisters that the Lord is blessing. And church, we need to take a moment to reflect on our own lives right here. Have you ever done this? Are you currently doing that? Getting upset because somebody else was healed? getting mad that the Lord blessed someone, or digging your heels in too deep that we stop listening to the Lord? Church, we live in a generation where whatever idea or thought comes across our mind, whether it's right or wrong, it will be reinforced by somebody on the internet. Like, try it out, right? Get on social media, throw a weird, wacky idea, and you're gonna have people being like, I support this. That's a terrible thing to support. And let me tell you what the danger is in this, right? Because we could joke and laugh, and I like to laugh at it too. But when we're wrong, and we are looking to other people to justify our position, and not opening the word of God, reading it, and spending time with the Lord, you are going to get the answer you want. And you're not going to get the answer that God is saying, hey, by the way, my, I'm trying to make you more like me. So stop looking at other people and figuring out what they like, I'm telling you to come to me and allow me to change you and make you more like me. Are you following me, church? That is a dangerous place to be when the world is saying, it's okay to do this. No, it's actually really not okay to do this because the word of God is showing us something different. And we have an example of this in the word of God. You guys remember Jonah? Jonah walked this out. Everybody loves the story of Jonah. This is a big whale. He ate a guy. Yay. That's not the story of Jonah. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he knew God would forgive them. And he didn't want that for them. That's messed up. Lord, forgive us if we ever walk that road. I don't want to talk to that person I don't want to talk to those folks. I don't want to do that thing because I know God's going to show up. Well, praise the Lord. I want him to show up. We need him to show up. Pride is a dangerous and ugly and dangerous thing. C.S. Lewis wrote it so perfectly in the book Mere Christianity. He said this, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And church, we can let this grow in us. 
We could start hearing words and our ears get tickled because she did so good at something. And then we start putting ourselves on a pedestal and we stop letting other people correct us who we love in our lives. We talked about accountability at, at, at the men's uh, breakfast a couple weeks ago and how sick I am about hearing the term accountability exclusively attached to dealing with pornography. At some point, like the devils use the same fishing pole, the same hooks and the same lures for how long? And people are still falling for it? Like, there's big fish in the sea. They're like, oh, I know what that is. I'm not going to eat that. We got to be like them. Like, I'm not falling for this, right? Because when we let pride take over, we think all these things are okay. When we start listening to ourselves, like, you're right, I am the man. I did that. I am the man. That's a dark place. A dear friend of mine shared this with me. He said, believing your own press is an infection, and that infection is often terminal. Church, we must guard our hearts from becoming prideful people. Pride clouds judgment. It distracts from truth, and it closes our ears to correction. When we allow pride to take residence in our heart, it speaks to us in very strange ways. We start looking at every situation, and we start determining how it will impact us rather then allowing us to stop and listen and see what the Lord wants us to do in any given situation. Pride allows us to start looking at ourselves and stop giving credit to the Most High. Pride is a poison to the soul. It is the antithesis, the opposite of the kingdom of heaven. Pride creates jealousy like when a church grows or a nonprofit gets a gift, do we respond and like, well, why not us? Are we joyful and excited about the things the Lord is doing? Or do we respond by being critical and complaining about how we didn't get anything or we weren't a part of that? And church, you're seeing this now with the revival that's going on at Asbury University. There's a lot of very critical people. Instead of saying, hey, why don't we be joyful that the Lord is pouring his heart out? My wife and I listened to the sermon that started all of that. Nothing special in that teaching. The Lord just poured his heart out. And there were people who were willing to respond. And now they've been worshiping for I don't even know how many hours, 200 something plus hours easy that they're going, man, praise the Lord. And the Lord is pouring his heart out. Are we excited that the Lord is pouring out his spirit or are we criticizing it because it looks different than we think? The Lord used a donkey to speak to Balaam. He can use a whole lot of stuff if we just pay attention. Church, I've seen former leaders of ministries critique things that they are not even a part of anymore. And all it does is create division. And the enemy loves division. He loves it. I've seen churches and ministries split over the stupidest things you could ever imagine. Because in that division, you could start hearing the voice of the enemy louder than the voice of the Lord. And his voice sounds like this. You know, you could do that better than him. You listen better. You respond better. You're more qualified. And that's an interesting one. Because if you look at all the people the Lord used throughout Scripture, none of those jokers were qualified. <laughs> it's your lack of qualification that qualifies you to work in God's kingdom, truly. Gene Edwards wrote the following in this beautiful book called The Tale of Three Kings. 
and it's about David being usurped by Absalom. He's, he writes this. He says, in the spiritual realm, those who lead rebellions have already proven, no matter how grandiose their words or angelic their ways, that they have a critical nature and unprincipled character and hidden motives in their heart. Frankly, they are thieves. They create dissatisfaction and tension within the realm and then seize power or siphon off followers. They use their followers to found their own dominions. Such a sorry beginning built on the foundation of insurrection. No, God never honors division in his realm. I find it curious that those who feel qualified to split God's kingdom do not feel capable of going somewhere else to another land to raise up a completely new kingdom. No, they must steal from another leader. I have never seen the exception. They seem always to need a few prepackaged followers. The enemy has a goal, and it is to divide and to split and to put ideas in our head that make us think we're the right ones for the job, and the ones the Lord chose, they clearly don't know what they're doing. And by saying that, then, Lord, you clearly don't know what you're doing. It makes us think that if we have titles or impressive resumes, that's the thing that matters to God, and it's more important than the widow's might and her offering. That the smallest things matter. That the heart postures and our response to the Lord is wildly important, church. These ideas are opposite to every single thing that Jesus is teaching. And if we were in Jesus' shoes when Matthew 20 uh, happens and this question was asked, how frustrated we would be to think how many times we need to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again before it sinks in. Jesus did not come to be the boastful and the prideful king. Jesus came to suffer and to save and to be our substitute. And he wants us to be more like him. This is why pride needs to die. If we live our lives full of pride, then Jesus can never show us how to live, can he? We as followers of Christ are supposed to lead and follow differently. We're supposed to engage with adversity differently. We are supposed to live selflessly for the good of others, not to exalt ourselves but do things to honor the Lord. We're supposed to love our neighbors by serving them well. And if we want to find our lives, church, then we need to lose it so we can find it. As the rulers of the world in Jesus' time lorded their authority over people, Jesus washed feet. Just think about that for a minute. What leadership do you know doesn't in this world lord their authority over people? Make laws and rules and all sorts of things. And how many of them get down on the ground and wash people's feet? As the world leaders during Jesus' time took for themselves, Jesus gave selflessly. So when Jesus asks his disciples if they think they could drink from the cup that he's about to drink from, they respond, absolutely, Jesus. And Jesus actually agrees with them in verse 23. And while only Jesus can hang on a cross and be the substitute and sacrifice for our, our sins, we as believers will suffer and encounter persecution and struggles for the name of the Lord. 
And guys, this is in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. Not maybe. Not if you're lucky. Will be persecuted. There's going to be difficult times. And those difficult times require us to leave who we are at the altar, at the cross, and allow Jesus to pick us up and become the men and women that he knows we can become. And the disciples were correct in this sharing this cup. James, the one who's asking this question, he gets thrown out of a temple window in Jerusalem and then gets stoned and gets beheaded. He suffered persecution for his faith. John was banished to the Isle of Patmos, where he most famously wrote the book Revelation. And Patmos, from my reading even this week, was very much like a slave colony at that time. Not a, not a glamorous life that he was living. And again, in verse 25, Jesus points to his disciples, and today is a powerful reality. Jesus called them together in verse 25 and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. The world takes power, and it flexes. It keeps you in the place that you are, and it squeezes you dry. It comes from a shallow well that is empty and holds no true authority or power. But Jesus came to show us how to live in the most radical way ever. He did it by serving. He is the ultimate form of leadership. I laugh when I read books or I see the titles that say servant leadership. They think they got something new and revolutionary. It's like, bro. I mean, if you just want to read four books, you can get that out of it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can see all the servant leadership you want. And church, I got to witness this firsthand in a really powerful way. Years ago, um, early on, uh, this is like maybe almost eight, nine years ago, maybe, early on in my ministry um, before here, um, I went through a really difficult time in, in that ministry. I had some leaders over me and my wife that were making our life very difficult, like really difficult. Um, and there was a man who at the time was the president of Teen Challenge, and to this day I will have the utmost tremendous respect for. His name is Joe Batluck. And uh, this man was really busy, right? He's the president of a national ministry. Um, you know, there was, I think, at the time, 230 to 250 programs from coast to coast. Um, you know, he was working on raising funds to disseminate, you know, out into the field and, and developing all sorts of stuff uh, or whatever. And when I looked at him, I always thought he has a lot of important things that he needs to do. And he found out about all the stuff that my wife and I were going through. And uh, one day he just knocked on the door of the office and popped in in Branson West. I was like, what are you doing, man? And he looked at me and he, and he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a little index card and there was a bunch of scriptures on it. And he said, I was praying for you. And this is what the Lord showed me. And we sat and we talked and he gave me a hug and he encouraged me. And he looked at me and he said, I know what you're going through. How can I help? You know how much that meant to me? As someone new in leadership, because I was early on in my leadership, because I remember the Sunday after I took that job, weeping at the altar at Emmaus, bawling my eyes out. And both Pastor Ron and Pastor Clint came up to me and said, you okay? And I told them, I said, I knew the weight of leadership was heavy. I didn't know it was this heavy. And I needed brothers to, and sisters to help carry me and pick me up. And Joe did that for me. 
a man who could be anywhere at any time, who had the power and authority to make stuff happen, still was humble enough to say, how can I help you? You tell me what you need me to do. And all I did was ask him to pray. I said, just keep praying for us. We need it. And to God be the glory, the Lord worked a lot of tremendous things out. He was modeling what the greatest leader of all time showed him through scripture. He got down on his knees and he was washing my feet. And this is exactly what Jesus does in our lives, brothers and sisters. He's there for us. He came not to be served by us, but to serve. He doesn't need our help, yet he helps us. And as we allow him to do things in our lives, it plants seeds in our lives. And if we water those seeds, those seeds produce fruit, and that fruit makes us more like Jesus. So if you want to find your life, you lose it. If you want power, position, and authority, and serve. Verse 26, Jesus says, not so with you. He's talking about how the world leads. Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Church, if we want to see people come to Jesus, it will not be by criticizing them from a distance, but rather being willing to walk with them gently when we are his servants and we hear the voice of the Lord, he will open the doors. If we want to mature as believers, then our focus must turn outward to him so that he can mature us inwardly. And church, I know this is a heavy topic this morning. And as we close, if the worship team could make their way up here, I want to share a quote that a dear friend, uh, Eric, sent to me this week as he was praying over this message. He, he summated it really well. He wrote this. He said, pride gives us tunnel vision. In a series of smudged and inaccurate mirrors, we can only see ourselves with a self-sanctification reflection. If someone or something outside our prideful lens doesn't fit the image we want, we judge them as inferior or unworthy of our focus. Yet, Christ calls us to surrender, to sacrifice, and to serve. And through these humble acts, he shatters our self-reflective mirror and enables us to see beyond ourselves, to view his people and his purpose with accurate an eternal perspective. Church, at some point, it's not about us. At some point, we don't know anything, and he knows everything. And at some point, we have to close our ears to everything the world is saying, and we need to open up our Bibles, and we need to get on our knees and pray and hear from the only one that's worth hearing from. Are you hearing me, brothers and sisters? So church, let us guard our hearts from the bitter root of pride and let a servant's heart grow in our lives instead. So as we close, let's respond. Let's not just listen to these questions, right? If the Lord is doing something in your heart, get up and worship and shout it out. 
and praise as we worship together. If you've got something that you need prayer for, we're going to have people in the back that are excited and willing to yoke up with you and go to the Lord with you. But number one, is Jesus the Lord of your life? And church, this is for everybody. This is for the believer and the non-believer. Is he really the Lord of your life? Or are we still trying to drive the car? Are we still trying to direct where the Lord is going? Or are we allowing him to take us where he wants to take us? Number two, has pride entered your life and blinded your spirit? Church, we got to let it go. And don't be so prideful that we can't come together and pray for one another. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And lastly, what lens do you need to allow Jesus to break in your life today? Is it an idea that you know is wrong and you need to give that to the Lord? Is it something that's challenging you? Are there people that you don't want at the table? You want to keep a safe distance from them. What does the Lord need to break in your heart this morning? Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you. Lord, I'm sorry for the times that I think I'm right. I repent of that, Jesus. And Lord, we as a church, we come to you saying, we want you to be Lord of our life. So God, if we are to become more like you, then rip this root out of our hearts. Lord, and plant seeds where what once was filthy and dirty and gross and away from you, Lord, you can make clean and new again. God, water those seeds. Please, grow in us your fruit to be patient and loving and kind in a church that's full of self-control and hope. Jesus, we need you. Please encounter us today. Meet us where we are. We humbly approach your throne, Lord. Meet us here this morning. In your name we pray. Thank you, Father.